0: Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed,
1: a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week?
0: Today, the 19th of February 2021, which is the day we record this, is the one-year anniversary of the racist attacks in Hano. If you're not in Germany and you haven't heard about this, on the 19th of February 2020, a Man attacked two shisha bars in a city called Hanau and killed nine people and injured several more. His attack was racially motivated. In fact, three months earlier, he had published a super racist manifesto, and I believe he had also sent it to the authorities, and nothing was done about him. In fact, he also legally owned several firearms, even though he publicly Published racist manifesto. He was allowed to keep those firearms. Madvi and I just returned from the vigil held at Oranienplatz. There was three altogether in Berlin and several in all major cities in Germany. It was moving and very sad, and it's generally a very sad day. Yeah. So this has been occupying my thoughts this week.
1: Yeah. I think the act of commemoration and remembrance, and not burying or hiding. The fact that this happened and being really public about it is really, really important. Serpel Temis, who is the mother of one of the victims, she wrote a letter to Merkel saying that the Hanna victims must never be forgotten and their names have to be learned in school and legible on the streets. And I think we've been seeing over and over, like, say their names. You were saying at Kino International. They even had a sign up on the cinema that said the names of all nine victims. Because commemorating and remembering the names and dealing with the deed, processing it, makes it a visible issue in dominant society. And there is this really big question in Germany, especially now we have this inherited guilt over the Holocaust. I think a new generation of Germans are coming up where all those people who lived during that time are no longer alive. And the question is, should we still carry that guilt? Should we still be reckoning with all of that? And I think what's really clear with Hanau, with what happened in Halle, there was a shooting in the synagogue. There's so many right-wing terrorist attacks in this country and also everywhere. Somebody who was just speaking when I arrived at the vigil, he was mentioning Christchurch and all of these places. And really when you hear all of those places and all of those massacres and killings and deaths that have been taken place, You kind of realize, well, this is a really big thing and let's not make it smaller than it is. It was also nice to see that a lot of people were willing to come out.
0: I will say, though, that one of the things that did make me kind of sad, I mean, the whole thing is incredibly sad, but obviously the circles and the communities that we move in, this has been a big topic and there has been a lot of visibility around it. But I kind of took a step out and was looking at a lot of mainstream German media, and it's not actually being covered as much as it should be. You're right, this idea of Aufarbeitung and dealing with guilt, this has particularly been a big question in Germany, or again, at least in the circles that we move in, within the last week, this idea of we are the grandchildren of Nazis, and how do we deal with that? The Bundesamt für Verfassungsschutz estimates that there are 32,000 right-wing extremists in Germany, and of those, they believe that 10,000 are active violent threats. This is just the known ones, right? Because obviously, we all know that the actual number is going to be significantly higher. I tried really hard to find this article, and I just can't. My dad sent it to me, so I thought, logically, it was going to be in our WhatsApp messages, and then I remembered he changed numbers. Two years ago, Deborah Feldman, who you might know because her autobiography was used as the inspiration for the Netflix show Unorthodox, wrote an article about this idea of Aufarbeitung and collective guilt. And in this essay, she talked about how, not to say that Aufarbeitung is not a good thing, like Germany should have reckoned and dealt with its past, but the fact that Germany as a collective dealt with its history meant that each individual person was able to free themselves of the guilt. So if as a nation, we are sorry for our history, then your grandfather, who's part of the Hitler youth, can look back fondly on his memories and think, oh, but weren't those good times? And I think that the idea of how we deal with guilt is so nuanced and how we move on from here. Because The increase in right-wing activity, the increase of popularity of Pegida and the IFD is just proof that right-wing extremism, hate, xenophobia, racism is still an issue in Germany and we need
1: to continue dealing with it. I read another really interesting viewpoint on that by the writer Jascha Monk and he wrote a book called Stranger in My Own Country a Jewish family in modern Germany. And he grew up in Germany. And he offers his theory about identity and says that people understand themselves and others through their genetic ties to history's victims and oppressors. And what he says is, if you are therefore German, your personal reaction to this inherited history can be one of hostility or resentment or embarrassment or you can overdo it the other way and... There's a wide range of emotional responses to this. So when he grew up in Germany, he always felt kind of othered because of this concept or this feeling of collective national guilt. And then he was identified as Jewish, and then his friends would make awkward jokes. or Because if the guilt is the main defining thing, like just in the way this guilt kind of reconfirmed the differences between him as from another culture and mainstream culture, and in a really weird way, continued that difference. I think that's the big question. How do you acknowledge something but not get stuck in it and work together in a really constructive way?
0: Along those lines, this week, the artist Moshtari and the political geographer Varatas did a Instagram Live in which they talked about this idea of Nazi erbe, which translated means Nazi inheritance. And here they were specifically talking about what does it mean if you are a German person living the year 2021 and your family wealth was acquired through working for or with the Nazis. And for a lot of prominent German families, this is the case. Here specifically they talk about Emilia von Zenger who is the owner of the She Said Bookstore, which just opened near Hermannplatz, as well as the art collector and socialite, Julia Stockscheck, who has multiple galleries throughout the city, and many other. I mean, there are so many examples of this. It's not just these two. If you think of Mercedes, BMW, Henke, basically any company that has been around in Germany for more than 100 years in some way has 100% been implicated and gained wealth through the Holocaust. But they were alluding specifically Julia Stucksche and her family. Her dad hired a historian to basically rewrite the family history. So he used company money, the company that they own during the Holocaust. And in this biography, they downplayed their involvement with the Nazi party. Also, the Fonzenga family made all of their money during the Holocaust. And Emily Fonzenga reacted in a very transparent and open way. She didn't deny anything. She posted a statement saying, yeah, this is correct. My family, my grandfather, were Nazis. She linked to articles in Wikipedia detailing exactly what her family did. She didn't deny it in any way. And she also transparently talked about where the money from the bookstore comes from, how she financed it, and everything. And I think that this kind of transparency is really, really important because it's not her fault, but it is our responsibility. We do have to talk about it and acknowledge it.
1: Yeah, agreed. In a lot of these companies that you just mentioned, these old German companies, I've always found it quite funny because they always go to the about page or the history page. Oh, we're 100 years old or 200 years old, but there's always a massive gap between (laughs) 1933 and 1945. Like, just nothing. Nothing on the timeline there. Yeah, like you say, all industrial, the big companies and a lot of prominent families, of course, they've really made their fortunes during this time by cooperating with the Nazis. I remember when the big Holocaust memorial was being built here in Berlin. It's a series of blocks and it's a big maze of these concrete blocks and they had to cover it with a particular chemical so that nobody could graffiti over it. They got a company, German company, just to supply this chemical and then there was a big scandal because then it came out, of course, that this company had benefited from the Holocaust and the Nazis. I think in the end they managed some sort of resolution where they just did it for free but you almost can't escape this in Germany and I think you're right. Transparency and openness, just a real willingness to be like yeah this is it instead of burying it because it's really dangerous to say we don't have a problem. I think the right-wing extremist problem is really downplayed in Germany like you were saying with media and when I was researching this I actually read about the NSU murders. So for those of you who don't know, the NSU murders were a series of xenophobic murders that happened between 2000 and 2007. Altogether, 10 people were murdered and one was wounded. And the primary targets were Turkish people and just like doner kebab vendors, greengrocers. But the media and the police called it just such a derogatory. They used to call them the kebab murders. Disgusting. And then also... The police kept on for years and years and years, thought that they were related to these uh, clans or like ethnic violence or gangs. And they kept on harassing all the family members who were victims because they were convinced that they were perpetrated by other Turkish people. And the police were accused many times by the Turkish population of racism. They denied it, denied it, denied it. And oh, all of a sudden it turned out that actually it was right extremists. And both the media and the police, you could see in the entire structure of country and Bavaria and everything, that there was this inherent racism and complete denial of the fact that racism...
0: Similarly, over the summer, down in Neukölln, cars kept being set on fire on sonnenallee and these fires would spread over to restaurants and establishments, mostly that belong to people of Turkish descent. It's continuing this hate and far-right terror. And it wasn't reported in the news at all. I was at home in, at my parents' house over the summer, and if it wasn't for social media and Instagram, I would not have heard of these at all. And that's shameful
1: one of the people who spoke today just pointed out something that's just so important is like those fires in Neukon are also related to the fires in Lesbos and are also related to acts like this in Hanau. It's all different levels of racism and it's the same problem. And we should be really actively fighting it all.
0: So the police just keep claiming they're one-off cases. Like there is this complete refusal to acknowledge that all these things are linked. Just this week, The Tse released a short campaign video, 12 seconds long, in which they basically said, we're here to make sure that these clans don't drive Ferraris anymore. And you saw a man in a Ferrari. And then the voiceover goes on to say, but now we're driving Mercedes. And in that moment, a Mercedes police van drives by. And as people on the internet have been quick to point out, they're like, oh, these clans and then there were comparison pictures of Hitler and the Nazis driving around in the Mercedes because Mercedes supplied them with their cars.
1: For those of you not in Germany the term clans here is used specifically for Middle Eastern gangs in Germany. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why but it's clans specifically refers to them and I think we've had a load of media like four blocks and stuff that makes you think that most of Germany's crimes come from these Middle Eastern clans. But in fact, I read in the Handelsblatt that only 2% of Berlin's organized crime is actually committed by such clans. So it ignores all of the white organized crime that is happening. Berlin is a money laundering, or Germany is a money laundering place. There's a lot of Russian money here, there's a lot of Italian money, but all we focus on is the Arabs.
0: In 2019 alone, the police in Berlin did 382 raids in Neukölln to battle clan violence. That's more than one raid per day. And if you live in Berlin and you have seen these raids, they show up like they're going to some sort of a battlefield of war. It's mind-blowing. There's a really great short reportage done by the ZDF about the fight against these clans and quotation marks in which they speak to a waitress who used to work in one of these shisha bars. They speak to this owner of a shisha bar who says that about once every three weeks, they raid his place. Obviously, he's innocent. And he said, there's nothing illegal happening in my establishment. I pay everyone. I follow all of the guidelines. And yet, every three weeks, they burst in here with machine guns and... Search my entire place, and he says that when they leave, they pat him on the back and say, "Oh, you're you know everything you're doing is legal. Keep going." Three weeks later, they're back, and he mentions how his neighbors look at him now like he's he says this like he's Pablo Escobar when he's not doing anything wrong, and it's just contributing to this terrible stereotyping and xenophobia. And Germany already has an incredibly problematic relationship with its fellow citizens of Turkish descent. We treat them abhorrently. We publicly mock them. When I was in high school, there was this video that, I don't remember who it was, but it was published by some major news outlet, and it was a video teaching you how to translate the way that Germans of Turkish descent speak to German. It's mind-blowing to think that a publicly funded media company would release something like this into the world and it was like wildly shared when i was in high school and people laughed about it i remember it clear as day what a gross thing
1: according to a recent article in time magazine germans who have foreign roots make up more than a quarter of the country's population but yet they do not truly feel at home in germany and this is because they're always seen as other Turkish people were invited over as guest workers in the 60s and 70s to help rebuild the country. And there's a really famous quote by Max Frisch, the writer, who said, they called for workers and humans came. And I think the fact that the Turkish population has never been accepted. I mean, first of all, they were always expected to go back home, which is kind of ridiculous, because once you've built a life here and you've worked here for like 20 years and you've had your kids here and stuff, that's difficult. So they were never given German passports until recently, and there's a whole thing about that. But also, because of this reluctance and because of the right-wing hostility against the Turks, and not only from right-wing extremists, from, I would say, the general population in what happened with the NSU murders, what happened with Hanau even now, like you said, the media is not covering it in the way that they should, that some of the victims' coffins were actually taken to Turkey for burial rites that just shows they were really not treated right and did not feel, therefore, at home in this country. I think what happened in
0: Hano is just an example of the ongoing, the way that they treated the victims and their families in the aftermath. The mother of one victim said she was given no information for 12 hours. The father of another one of the victims said that when he got his son's body back he could not believe what they had done to it and for hours after no information it took them some up to 26 hours i believe to inform families
1: yeah exactly there was also something about the father of the shooter who was also right-wing reclaimed the weapons of his son and after the fact really recently made again some very right-wing extremist statements saying that his son was a victim and the police did not communicate this with the victim's families. The victim's families, again, set up a vigil outside father's house. Like It seems like the police are really not on their side and do have a sympathy for the perpetrators of these crimes.
0: Absolutely. Just over the summer, a journalist of Turkish descent, her address was leaked to right-wing extremists and they trace back to... The source? It was a police computer. And, you know, we had that entire scandal over the summer where our interior minister, Seehofer, went after a journalist for writing a satirical newspaper article in which they addressed the issue of the police and right-wing extremism. And Seehofer's response was to threaten to sue this journalist. And then it was suggested that they launch a study into whether or not right-wing extremism is a problem within the police. And he objected it and fought against it, and petitions were signed. And just this idea that the interior minister is so dedicated to preserving this bizarre German whiteness to such an extent that he feels the need to threaten to sue a journalist.
1: I think this is really linked to a personal, emotional inability to really be honest and take a good hard look at yourself your society i
0: mean i know society is perfect no culture is perfect and as a formal colonial country as a country that is responsible for the holocaust of course there's going to be remnants of this history still prevalent in our society today but denying it trying to make excuses trying to look the other direction, it doesn't make things go away. But we have to own up and publicly have another conversation around it because we are the generation that is two generations now removed from it. So our stance on it, our take on it, is significantly different than our parents or our grandparents. But the ramification of our history is still felt today and we need to address it and deal with it in a very public way. Because, honestly, not that much has changed. The same families, the same money, the same people who were prevalent back then are still running our societies nowadays. If you just look at the IFD, some of their key people, amongst them, Beatrice von Storch, prevalent Nazi family. Nothing's changed.
1: I find it fascinating that a lot of people are like, Germans dealt with their guilt, they dealt with all those people, And they really didn't, because when you read Hannah Arndt's The Banality of Evil, and then she goes into, like, who was really brought to justice. It was, like, five people. That's, like, I'm being facetious. It was not that many people. Everyone, they had to continue with the machine that was on it. And I think you mentioned Feldman and her opinion on this. There is something to it. Yeah, this collective, oh, we just feel guilty about, really stopped people from really reckoning on the individual basis. In Germany, in the 70s and 80s, there was really a vocal group of German intellectuals who were calling for a kind of end to this collective guilt, almost sort of statute of limitations on moral responsibility. You can't change the past. And so maybe the way that we deal
0: with the past needs to change, because I think that the type of guilt that people are feeling now is different than the type of guilt that people who did the alpha we're feeling. So I think that to continue to deal with the guilt in the same way is the wrong approach. Because what we need to do now is look at the society that we have and reckon with how our past led us here and how we built the foundations of this society based on a terrible thing that happened in our history. The entire conversation is incredibly complex, and I honestly think just the issue is that we're not actually having these conversations, at least not in a public forum, around personal responsibility and ongoing responsibility as a country. People want to pretend like it's something of the past, and any sort of right-wing extremism we have in this country are just isolated incidents. They're not related, and there are 32,000
1: members of the IFD. And it's one of the biggest parties in Germany right now, one of the most successful, and it's growing. And according to the Federal Criminal Police Office, which is Germany's equivalent of the FBI, there's been a fivefold increase in the number of dangerous far-right extremists in the country since 2012. So it is actually a really serious problem that we should be looking at in a really serious way.
0: We would like to end this episode by saying the names of the victims of the attacks in Hano
1: Gurkhan Gultigun Zedat Gurbus Said Nesher Roshami Mercedes Kirpach Hamza Kurtovic, Vili Virel Paun Fatig Seda Solda Ferhat Unvar Kanojan Velkov Thank you for listening until next time goodbye If you like this podcast please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us
0: at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at
1: misinformed.podcasts at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration subscribe to our newsletter you can find the link via our instagram we are an independent nonprofit podcast if you would like
0: to show us some love you can make a one-off donation via our soundcloud or
1: support us on patreon at patreon.com misinformed thank you for listening until next time goodbye